So there's a question that I think every one of us has heard many times, mainly when we were children. It's a question that grandparents ask. It's a question that your parents' friends ask. It's a question many people ask children. And that is the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember when people asked you that? Can you remember the last time someone asked you that? Maybe it was a few days ago. Maybe it was many years ago. Do you remember kind of the progression you went through in answering that question? I know for myself, I think I started out probably saying, well, I'd like to be a fireman and then a policeman and then maybe a professional basketball player and then a professional baseball player. And then at some point I started to think, well, maybe I'd like to do what my dad did. And he's a pastor. So I thought, you know, maybe I want to be a pastor when I grow up. And so I started to act that out. I like to put on worship services at our house, especially when my parents had friends over. And you see, the best part was we'd do a couple hymns and we'd, we'd go through the the, the parts of the service, and then I would always, always take an offering, and it worked out really well. But you know, when we get older, when we become adults, I think we still sometimes are haunted by that same question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Have you ever stopped to think about that even years after your childhood? You know, what do I want to be when I grow up? Is this what life is really about? Am I going to keep doing what I'm doing now, or is there something more? Well, I think this question, what do you want to be when you grow up, is important for us as individuals, but it's also a really important question for us as a church. So we're in this series in the book of Ephesians, and we're now going to enter the second half of the book of Ephesians. Now, the book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, there's a lot to catch up on. And so I'd invite you to go to our website, which is calvary.org, and you can start with message number one, and we really dive into the background of who the Ephesians were and what all their issues were. But what you need to know tonight is that the Ephesians were real people, and they were a real church, and they had real issues, and there was a real letter that was written to them by a guy named Paul who had a whole checkered past but became one of the greatest apostles the world has ever known. And so in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters really had a recurring theme. Again and again, what Paul wants us to know or what he wants us to focus in on is the refrain, remember who you are. If you have struggles in your life, remember who you are. If you're doubting things, remember who you are. If someone comes and tries to tear you down, remember who you are. Remember who you are. It's all based on who God is and what he's done and his amazing promises for us. In those first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we're actually never told to do anything at all. It's just promise after promise. Remember who you are. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, now we're going to transition into the second half of the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 4. And here's where it transitions to action. It's where we're told to actually put God's promises into practice. And specifically, we're to put these things into practice in the church. 
Now, if you're here and you don't know what you believe, you're not even really sure why you're here, somebody promised you a meal if you came, if you don't know what you believe, just know that you are more than welcome. What we like to say is you can belong here before you believe. But I also want you to know that we're going to be focusing specifically on today things that specifically apply to the church. So feel free to listen along, but I'd also venture to say that many of the principles that we'll talk about that we want to apply in the church would also be great things to apply and to put into practice in any group, any organization, any institution that you might be a part of. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles right now. There's paper copies in your pew. If you have your phone and you use the YouVersion app, if you turn to the book of Ephesians, we're going to start with, the, uh, with chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians. One of the important things that we're going to focus on today, and one of the important things we're going to learn today, is what the church should not be. All right, one of the things the church should not be is a one-man band. You know, sometimes churches today center around one central personality, maybe even one celebrity. Or sometimes the attitude of a church is that a pastor or a staff should do all the ministry. You know, in these churches, they want the paid people to do everything, to preach, to teach, to care for people, to visit people, to pray for people, and the list goes on. Well, what we're going to see in Ephesians 4 is that this is not how the church should function. Now, we're also going to see how the church should not be a museum. Now, have you ever seen a church like this before? Have you ever traveled in Europe and gone to see all the beautiful cathedrals? I remember back on a trip I was on in college, we went to Norway, and we were in Oslo on a Sunday, and so we went to church at the beautiful cathedral downtown Oslo. Now, it was kind of awkward because we were all wearing matching yellow shirts, and there were about 12 of us, and it was especially awkward because the 12 of us outnumbered the rest of the congregation that morning. You see, this isn't something that's only happening in Europe. It's actually a phenomenon that we're seeing in America and even in Minnesota these days, that churches have become museums. Sometimes churches go out of their way to preserve traditions instead of advancing and changing. Now, sometimes the attitude is, well, let's just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and maybe we'll get different results. But, but you know what that definition of that is. It's insanity, right? This is not the, mo the model that Paul recommends in Ephesians chapter 4. The church is not supposed to be just a museum. Now, another thing the church should not be is a spectator event, you know, where people just come to cheer or to boo, but never actually get in the game. You know, sometimes people come to church and they hear their favorite song and it's something to cheer, but then maybe there's something to boo, you know, the sermon goes a little bit too long or something like that. There's an illustration that I've used many, many times. You've probably heard me tell this, but it's one of my favorite illustrations where somebody said the church all too often is like a football game. There's thousands of people in the stands in desperate need of some exercise, and there's 22 people on the field in desperate need of some rest. 
The church is not meant to just be a spectator event. It's not meant to just be something where we come and we cheer or we boo, whether or not we like it, whether or not we don't like it. Ephesians 4 makes it clear that church is meant to be something greater and something much more important than that. Well, also, church is not supposed to be a country club, you know, a place where we come and say, well, what's in it for me? Where we think about, you know, well, membership should have privileges. What can I get out of this? You know, sometimes people join churches for a social status or how they'll be perceived with their friends. Sometimes people have the attitude, well, I should get to weigh in on every decision. And maybe the most important question people think is, well, do I like it or not? Well, again, Ephesians 4 makes it clear this is not how the church should be. God has greater plans. He has greater things that he wants to do as we come together in the body of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4 is really all about the real purpose of the church and what it should look like when it grows up. And what we're going to see Paul talk about in the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, is that there are three key things that we should be growing in as a church. Three key things that we should be growing in as a church. And those things are unity, diversity, and maturity. When we think about how is the church going to grow up, we should be growing in unity, diversity, and maturity. So let's start with the first one, unity. And look at verse 3 from chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now what I want you to notice there is that he's talking about maintaining a unity that we already have. It's not something that we have to manufacture. It's not something that we have to reinvent. He's saying remember and celebrate and value the unity that you've already been given. And he goes on to say that there are seven essential elements of the unity that we have. So let's look at verses four through six. Paul says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Seven key essentials for us to be one, for us to be united in. Our unity is based on the oneness of our faith and our focus. And it's the gospel which brings us unity. It's not about style. It's about the substance the gospel is ultimately what brings us unity. Now, we have many, different, many differences between all of us. We might have different favorite Bible translations. There might be some people who love the King James and other people who love a modern translation like the Message Bible. There's some people who love to come to worship and put their hands up in the air. And there's others who like to keep them a little bit lower. And there's others that like to keep them in their pocket. There's some people who love the organ, and there's some people who love drums and guitars. But you know what? Those things are all style. 
What Paul is saying is that we can have unity despite our differences because we need to focus on the substance, which is the gospel. Now, Paul says we need to celebrate that unity. We need to keep it central. We need to keep on remembering it. We need to remind each other of it. And we need to maintain it. Because the enemy loves to sow division and divides us in so many different ways. And so really a key question that we can all be asking ourselves based on verse 3 is, do I make every effort to preserve unity and peace? Do I make every effort, as Paul says, to preserve unity and peace? You see, it takes commitment and it takes effort because it doesn't come that naturally to us. And we can't ever take it for granted because it's countercultural. It's not natural for most of the world to experience that kind of unity. Unity is something we all need to work at and remain committed to. But we might ask, well, how do we do it? Well, let's go back to verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul starts out by saying, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You see, we maintain unity by living up to our calling. Now, have you ever been challenged like that before? Somebody told you, you know, live up to your name or live up to your title. I can remember numerous times growing up where my parents took me aside and said, that is not something that a Thompson should do. Basically saying, you need to live up to your name. You know, there's a certain way that we treat people. There's a certain way we conduct ourselves when we're in public. There's a certain way we behave. Paul is saying, you are a child of God. You are a part of God's family. Live up to your calling. And part of that calling is to maintain unity in the gospel. Jesus established the church, and he's called us to be a part of it. And part of living up to that calling means prioritizing unity. And we need to handle the unity of the church with great care. But now check out what verse 2 says. He goes on to say, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, when you read those things, I think we have to be honest that the church very often does not live up to that calling. Too often, the church is not humble and gentle and patient and loving. Too often, the church has treated people harshly and impatiently. Too often, the church has used things like shame and guilt instead of love and care. And too often, the church is full of gossip and complaining and division. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to repent of that. And we need to recommit to living up to our calling. Now, Jesus, of course, was the ultimate model of humility and gentleness and patience, and love. And it's those things that Paul says are a key ingredient to maintaining unity within the church. 
Now, it's also vitally important that we have unity in mission and purpose. Our purpose here at Calvary is to simply love God and to love people, as we're commanded to do by Jesus in Matthew 22. We need to let people know that we have a loving God who wants to be in relationship with them. That is our purpose. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned us. He said, go and make disciples of every nation. We've got the greatest news in the world. We can't keep it to ourselves. And so that mission and that purpose becomes our focus and also our most important metric as a church. We need to be asking, are we reaching people with the gospel? Are we seeing people grow up in their faith? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Do you want to know what Jesus values deeply? Do you know what Jesus dreams for you and for me? Well, we actually know because it's what he prayed right before he was crucified. He took the time to pray to God asking that we would be one. Jesus values and he dreams of the unity that we can have together in the church. Growing up means maintaining unity in the gospel. Well, number two, we also need to be growing up in diversity. And we're jumping to verse seven in Ephesians chapter four. But the thing about diversity and the thing about unity is that unity is not uniformity. It's not uniformity when it comes to God, and it's not uniformity when it comes to the church. Now, God models unity and diversity for us perfectly in the Trinity. He is one, yet he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the church can be the same thing. We can model both unity and diversity to the world. We can't be afraid of our different backgrounds and experiences because God wants to use our variety to be a blessing to each other and to be a blessing to the world. Yet the sad reality is that the church is often the least diverse place around in our culture. We need people of every race and class and background to come together to be the church that we're called to be. I also think the church is the healthiest when we have a full spectrum of political beliefs represented. We're not gonna be on the same page at all times in regards to almost any topic, but we can model to the rest of the world what it looks like to disagree with love, what it looks like to have conversations face-to-face, what it looks like to be good listeners, to be gracious towards people that we don't agree with. If you ever find yourself in a church where every single person thinks exactly the same way about every single thing, I'd recommend you run in the opposite direction because that's not a church. It's more likely that's a cult. Paul also says in order to further diversity, God gives us different gifts of grace. Look at verse 7. 
Paul says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Every Christ follower is given gifts to be used in the church, but we're not all the same. We all have different roles to play, and no one is more significant or less significant. And no one gets to sit on the bench. We all need to get in the game. Paul goes on to say, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Now this is just one of numerous different lists in the New Testament of gifts that are given to people in the church. But these gifts that Paul calls out here are fundamental to the growth of the church. There's other gifts, hospitality and serving and helping, and the list goes on and on. But these gifts, these five that he points out here, have one thing in common. They're all word gifts. And it's a reminder that it's the word of God that's the primary means by which the church and us as individuals grow. It's the word of God that ultimately helps us grow. Well, when we maintain unity in what's most important and we celebrate our diversity, it all leads to us growing in maturity. And verse 12 tells us that growth is the purpose of the church. Look at what Paul says. He says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, this isn't about getting bigger for getting bigger's sake. It's not about increasing numbers just so we can brag about it. But the truth is, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And when the mission is lived out that God has given us, there will be growth. But Paul says people need to be equipped to do his work and to build up the church. So how do we help people grow spiritually? Well, the church needs to be focused on helping people take their next step. That's what Calvary's all about. It's about helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by doing nothing. It means taking positive steps forward. What we like to say is following Jesus is always a growing experience. No matter if you've been a believer for a few days or for decades, there is still another step of faith that you can take today. Every single one of us. Maybe you don't even know what you believe. Maybe your first step of faith could happen today. But every single one of us is called to keep on growing, to keep on being built up in our faith. Now, there are some things at Calvary that we think help stimulate that growth, some things that help us take steps forward. We think it's important that we're all in worship, and so you all get a gold star. You're doing well on that regard. We also think we all need to be in groups. We need to do life together. We say circles are better than rows. Maybe your next step is getting involved in a small group. We also think everybody should be serving because God created you on purpose for a purpose. 
If you don't have a place to serve, we'd love to help you get hooked up with that. Worship, get involved in a group, find a way to serve. It's taking steps forward. Following Jesus is always a growing experience. Well, then Paul goes on to answer the question, well, how do we measure growth? Look at verse 13. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He's really giving us a target. We need to help people grow towards unity in the faith. And he's saying that we all need to continue to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God. It's just about getting to know Jesus better. And so we want to create a community where loving and knowing Jesus is what we do. It's what we're about. Now, maturing and growing in our faith means things have to change. We can't stay static. We can't just preserve the past. We also need to remember that we never arrive. We never graduate from our faith. Maturity actually means recognizing how much more we need to mature. Maturity also means understanding we don't have it all together. We need other people's help along the way. But the church, according to Paul, is a body that's being grown. And there's no limits to the growth of this body of Christ. In fact, what Paul says is we're aiming for the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. That day after day, as we take steps forward, we would become little by little, more and more like Jesus. The way Paul puts it is until we all, it's all of us together and all of us individually. But Christianity is fundamentally a team sport. It's fundamentally about community. We need each other in order to reach maturity. We need to encourage one another. We need to serve. We need to get involved. We need to do ministry. And Jesus has given us all the resources that we need to keep on growing. You know, the ministers of Calvary are not Zach, Jason, Carol, and Skip. The ministers of Calvary are the whole congregation. If you read through the Bible, there is no divide between clergy and laity. There's no mention of ordination at all. There's no mention of seminary at all. Every one of us is called to be trained up, to be equipped, to be empowered. And we need the whole team playing at full strength. It shouldn't just be a one-man show or all on the shoulders of a staff. So the challenge for every one of us is to answer the question, so where are you serving? Because if you aren't serving, you're not growing. And without all of us serving together, we're not growing like we could and we should. Who are you pouring into? The more you pour into others, the more you will actually be filled up yourself. And over my years of ministry, sometimes I've had people come and say, you know, I'm not feeling, you know, being, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being fed. 
I need something deeper. You know, usually they're hinting there's just something they don't like that's happening. But my response has always been to them, who are you pouring into? Who are you serving? If you really want to be fed, if you really want to grow like never before, take the focus off yourself and go help someone. Help someone grow in their faith and you'll see your faith grow like never before. Well, how do we know that we are growing and maturing? Is it just listing off all the Bible studies we go to? Is it memorizing a bunch of Bible verses? Is it having perfect attendance at worship? Well, what Paul says is that maturity means stability. Maturity means forming a solid foundation. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Now, there are all sorts of bad influences and bad teachers and bad people who want to lead us astray. And part of being mature is we need to learn to discern the lies from the truth. We can't fall for every new thing that pops up because God has something so much better. Look at verse 15. It says, instead, instead of getting tossed around, instead of being led astray, instead of continuing to be immature, he says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I love how Paul says, speak the truth in love. You see, maturity only comes when we have both truth and love. You know, you can't just say, well, I love the truth, but then not apply it with compassion and love. You can't just pick one, say, I'm only for truth, or I'm only for love. Paul is saying we need both equally. We need to learn to speak the truth in love. And then Paul, in verse 16, gives us one final picture of what this looks like in action. He says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Church, healthy things grow. Each one of us is called to play an important part. Don't sit back. We need to keep on helping each other grow up in our faith. And that's when we will be truly healthy and growing as a church. And Paul caps it all off and says, the way that we know that we're on the right track is by our love, by how well we love each other and by how well we love other people. So in closing, I ask one more time, what do you want to be when you grow up 
Calvary. I hope and pray that we keep on growing up into a church that is full of unity and diversity and maturity. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are the giver of all good things, that you are the founder of the church, that you have called us and that you've equipped us and you've empowered us. God, help us to remember your call that we should be growing every day, that we can't just sit back and coast, we can't take all your promises for granted, but instead you've called us to grow as individuals and as a church. Help remind us healthy things grow. And God, specifically as we've dug into your word today, help us to remember to prioritize our unity, our diversity, and our maturity. God, help us to love each other well and help us to share your everlasting love with every person we meet. God, help us to be a church that is growing in our faith, growing in our love, growing in our devotion to you, growing in our passion for our mission each and every day. God, help us to make a difference for you. We pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.